American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heister-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about a man who may one day be considered the patron saint of baseball, the second greatest Pittsburgh Pirate of all time, Roberto Clemente. Yeah, second greatest, but that's only because Honus Wagner was a pirate. Being second to one of the greatest ever is nothing to be ashamed of. Clemente was a phenomenal baseball player and was an even more phenomenal man of charity off the field. And his place in the pantheon of baseball was cemented by his tragic death on New Year's Eve, 1972. Absolutely. After his death, the Baseball Hall of Fame waived its rules so that rather than waiting the customary five years after leaving baseball, he was inducted in just six months. So clear was his place in baseball history. So let's talk about Clemente's background and what made him so special. Well, Roberto Clemente was born in 1934 in Isla Verde, Carolina, Puerto Rico, which is just outside of the capital, San Juan. He was the youngest of seven children. His parents were both born Catholic, but his father had abandoned the Catholic faith while his mother had become Baptist. Nonetheless, Roberto was baptized Catholic. But growing up, he would go to the Baptist services with his mother. And he loved the hymns they sang, remembering them and playing or singing them when he was an adult. From an early age, he had a heart for others and was more religious than his peers. He would make a point of going to funerals for those in his community, and he'd encourage others to join him. Once he was grown a bit, he was regularly recruited to be a pallbearer when there weren't enough family members to do the duty. He also observed a pious custom of asking his parents for their blessing every time he would leave the house. In addition to his unusual religious sensitivity, he also shined above his peers as an athlete. He was excellent in both track and field and in baseball, some thought he could be a candidate for the Olympic team in track and field. But in high school, he gave up track and field to focus on baseball. The social situation in his community had some divisions, what community doesn't, but the divisions were along economic lines, not racial. The Clementes were black Puerto Ricans with darker skin than many in their community, but in that community, skin color didn't matter. Roberto didn't experience racial animosity until later in his life, and it was not in Puerto Rico. And it was baseball that would take him away from Puerto Rico. In his teens, he signed with a local team in Puerto Rico, and his excellent play grabbed the attention of a number of major league clubs, leading to a bidding war for his contract. In 1953, the year he turned 19, he signed with the Brooklyn Dodgers and was sent to their minor league affiliate in Montreal, Quebec. His time in Montreal wasn't easy. He struggled mightily with the language and had to deal with racism for the first time. The Brooklyn Dodgers had broken baseball's color barrier in 1947 when Jackie Robinson took the field with the big league club, but Clemente had the added disadvantages of being on a minor league club, so less shielded from the fans, and also being a Latino player who didn't speak the language well. I'm sure the extreme difference in weather also didn't help. Montreal is not the Caribbean. Ah, uh, no. Nor did the back injury he suffered in a minor car accident in 1954. He played through the pain until the team manager figured out what was bothering him and got him the treatment that he needed. But even with that treatment and his improving play, the Montreal club didn't play him very much, and there were two reasons. One, they wanted to avoid race-based incidents and animosities. And two, 
His contractual status with the Dodgers made him vulnerable to be drafted by another team after the 1954 season, and the Dodgers wanted to prevent other teams seeing how amazing his raw physical ability and baseball talent were. So they played him sparingly, particularly when Pirates scouts came by to look at another player. The scout wasn't fooled. He saw Clemente's warm-ups and practices, and that was enough. Eventually, he pledged to Clemente's manager, I don't care if you never play him. We're going to finish last, and we're going to draft him number one. And that's exactly what happened. He was in the starting lineup with the Pirates the following season. That's not to say he suddenly put it all together and was a perennial all-star from the outset, but certain things were different about Pittsburgh that allowed him to flourish. Right. For one, they played him regularly, which took away uncertainties that can wreck a ball player's mindset. Also, while Pittsburgh only had a handful of Latinos, the town was more ethnically diverse than Montreal and had more people in groups who were also on the lower end of the social ladder, so he fit in better. Among that small number of Latinos was a Puerto Rican couple named Elsa and Henry Coulong. They became good friends of Clemente, and their house became a place of refuge as he learned how to live in the new town and among big league ballplayers. Unlike so many of his teammates, Clemente did not go for the life of carousing and womanizing, so the Coulongs were a welcome respite. And as an added bonus, the Coulongs were devout Catholics. Which may explain how... He turned back to the faith of his baptism in his early 20s, because that's what he did. He wasn't yet on fire for the faith, but he did make a conscious decision at that point that the religion he would embrace would be Catholicism. In his second season, he hit 311, but it wasn't until 1960 that he had his breakout campaign. And the secret behind that breakout may have been entirely unrelated to baseball. After the season ended in 1958, Roberto Clemente enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves. He did his training at Paris Island, South Carolina, and completed his six-month active duty commitment nearly in time for the start of the 1959 season. Through his Marine Corps training, he put on 10 pounds of muscle, and the all-body nature of the Marine Corps fitness regimen made the back pain he'd experienced for four years disappear. He would remain in the Marine Corps Reserves as a private first class until 1964. I wonder who the last big league player to also be a reservist in the military was. I had no idea. Nowadays, the teams are so careful about what their players do in the offseason, trying to avoid injury. I can't imagine many players doing it, especially not one as talented as Clemente. But anyway, back to 1960 and the now Marine Corps strong Roberto Clemente. That season, he hit 314 with 16 homers and earned his first trip to the All-Star game. But more significantly, his play was key to the Pirates winning the World Series over the New York Yankees, their first title since 1925. And this was the beginning of 12 consecutive years of Roberto Clemente being at the absolute pinnacle of the game. From 1960 to 1972, there were other players who were as good as he was, and plenty who had better individual seasons, but really none put together the run of dominance that he did for that stretch. He went to the All-Star game every year but one, won the gold glove every year from 1961 through 72, won the batting title four times, was named the National League's most valuable player in 1966, and led the National League a number of times in a range of categories, put outs as a right fielder, hits, triples, and fielding average. In 1971, he added another World Series ring with the Pirates, and this time he was named the World Series' most valuable player. Roberto Clemente is truly one of the greatest players of all time, 
And there is no doubt he had more great years of baseball ahead of him when he died. No, no doubt whatsoever. But his death was because of who he was off the field. As great as he was on the baseball field, he was even better off. In the mid-1960s, during his off-season stay in Puerto Rico, he fell in love with Vera Zabala. They were married on November 14, 1964 in Carolina, Puerto Rico, and they had three children. Both in Puerto Rico and back in Pittsburgh, Clemente was known for his life of charitable giving and charity work. For one, he was overly generous with panhandlers. This annoyed his teammates, whether because they felt convicted for not being similarly generous or because they didn't want to encourage panhandling. But Clemente responded with a thought he repeated often. He said that God intended him to play baseball and make money so he could help people. He really believed that he was made to play baseball. Based on his ability and his eagerness to use his earnings to help others, it's hard to argue. Right. He never missed the chance to help out kids. He put on baseball camps. He just helped people. And he made no bones about it being born of his Catholic faith. His faith, which was reborn in the 1950s, was strengthened both by his wife's presence as well as by a new friend in town. Father Alvin Gutierrez had studied in Puerto Rico, and in 1964, he was stationed in Pittsburgh. Clemente, who by this point was a star in Pittsburgh and had the town in the palm of his hand, welcomed the young priest, and the young priest, in turn, helped him to grow deeper in his faith. As his career progressed and sports writers would ask him about the various career milestones he was approaching, a 1,000 runs batted in, 2,000 hits, 3,000 hits, another Gold Glove Award, etc., and when he thought he might achieve them, he would say that, well, it was all up to whether God would let him live long enough. And he really did just trust that God was in charge and that he was just meant to play baseball and help people. It was fitting then that he reached that final milestone, his 3,000th hit, in the final at-bat of the 1972 season, what proved to be his final career at-bat. The Pirates, who had won the World Series the year before, were defeated by the Cincinnati Reds in the playoffs. So Roberto Clemente did what he typically did. He returned to Puerto Rico. And he returned to charitable work. On December 23, 1972, a terrible earthquake struck Nicaragua just outside of Managua, the capital city. The governor of Puerto Rico asked Clemente to be a key figure in organizing relief and supply shipments. Clemente didn't need to be asked twice. He had made trips to Nicaragua before, including one just a few weeks prior to this earthquake, so he knew the conditions in which people were living already. This earthquake caused massive damage. Five square miles in the city's center were leveled, with severe damage covering an additional five square miles. Estimates vary, but as many as 11,000 people were killed, with more than 300,000 suddenly homeless. It was unimaginable. Compounding the human tragedy was the response of the local government. The first three shipments of aid that Clemency sent had been intercepted by government agents who either sold the supplies or kept them for their own benefit rather than using them for relief. Clemente was determined that the fourth shipment would reach those for whom it was intended, so he decided that he would personally escort that fourth plane, believing that his presence and his reputation would prevent any shenanigans. So that fourth plane was loaded to the gills and took off on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1972 but it was doomed before it even taxied to the runway. The plane had a spotty maintenance record to begin with, but also it was well overburdened, carrying much more weight than it was designed to carry. Further, the crew was lacking a co-pilot and other crew members that such a flight would normally carry. The plane suffered engine failure shortly after takeoff and crashed into the sea. 
all on board were killed. The outpouring of grief was felt from Nicaragua to Puerto Rico to Pittsburgh and all over the United States, as Roberto Clemente had been known and respected all over. The plane's fuselage and the pilot's body were found, but Clemente's body was never recovered. All but one of Clemente's pirate's teammates attended his funeral in Puerto Rico. That one who did not attend was Clemente's close friend, Manny Sanguien, who instead went out to the place where his plane had crashed and dove in to try to find his friend's body. At the funeral, Father Alvin Gutierrez said that Clemente was a unique human being who had deep compassion for his fellow man. Father Gutierrez said, wherever there was need, there was Roberto Clemente. And he called Clemente a man of great convictions who was practicing the art of helping others when he died. Years later, Father Gutierrez would recall that Clemente lived by a Catholic ethos. He went about his business, cared for his fellow man, and lived his faith while never touting himself as some sort of model disciple. He just lived it. There is one other really amazing side note to the story of Clemente's tragic death, and that is who didn't get on the plane. Another baseball player helped Clemente load that plane. Tom Walker, a pitcher for the Montreal Expos, was in Puerto Rico for winter ball. He helped load and apparently wanted to make the trip with Clemente. Clemente waved him off, telling Walker, who was 24 and single at the time, to go enjoy the New Year's festivities. So Walker stayed behind. Fast forward 32 years and Tom Walker's son, Neil, was drafted in the first round, the 11th overall pick, by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Neil Walker, who was from nearby Gibsonia, PA, would go on to play seven great seasons in Pittsburgh, becoming a hometown favorite. It's just amazing. Within months of the tragic crash, the Baseball Hall of Fame changed the rules to allow Clemente to be considered, and he was inducted within six months. Today, Clemente is one of only three men with a statue outside the Hall of Fame, the other two being Lou Gehrig and Hank Aaron. Pretty amazing company. Clemente is also memorialized in his adopted hometown with a major statue outside PNC Park, one of the prettiest parks in all of baseball. That statue stands at one end of the Roberto Clemente Bridge, one of the three major bridges over the Allegheny River, which connects the north side to downtown Pittsburgh. On game days, that bridge is closed down to cars and it becomes a massive footbridge so people who park in downtown can walk across it to the park. I've done it many times. It's a very pleasant trek, which takes one right past the massive statue of Clemente. Pittsburgh also boasts a museum to the man and a number of murals. In his hometown, Denham, Puerto Rico, there is a monument to him, too. The monument is a cenotaph, a sort of funerary monument that is generally reserved for great military figures whose deeds saved the nation and whose body was never recovered from the field of battle. Such was, and is... Roberto Clemente's reputation and memory. In the U.S., he was posthumously awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal by President Richard Nixon, as well as the Congressional Gold Medal, both in 1973. And in 2003, President George W. Bush awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He also is the namesake of the annual award given out by Major League Baseball to the one player who best exemplifies the game of baseball, sportsmanship, community involvement, and the individual's contribution to his team. This award, which was first given in 1971, was renamed in honor of Clemente beginning in 1973. In recent years, there have been rumblings about an even greater title or award being conferred upon him, Saint. There is no cause open yet, 
and it's not a certainty that there ever will be a canonization for Pittsburgh's great one. But as Clemente said about his life, if God wants it to be, it will be. So if God wills, maybe one day we will have a patron saint of baseball, Roberto Clemente. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support SQPN. Yes, now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 per month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all of our shows, including American Catholic History, making your gift go even further. If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. To learn more about Roberto Clemente, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about cool Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.